Up next on NHL Fantasy on Ice. It's been anything but a cakewalk for the Cavs. The Blues have been formally charged with highway robbery. Plus, the latest trends and players to watch in DFS heading into the weekend. It's NHL Fantasy on Ice. Stanley Cup playoff talk here on this Friday morning. Pete and Rob here with you. Rob, how you doing today? Happy Friday to you, Pete. I'm doing pretty well. I stayed up a little bit later than normal last night, catching the end of that San Jose game, but there were a few beauties last night. How about it? Staying alive are the San Jose Sharks on this Friday morning, but uh, the biggest thing for me was, I mean, you don't see epic comebacks like that very often, but the St. Louis Blues doing it on the road. You can't say much more about this team and their resiliency. I mean, right back from the dead in the particular game, just like earlier in the season. That's a microcosm of their season right there. You're right. That is a microcosm of their season. They were in a 2-0 deficit on road territory in the Bell MTS place, which is a ruckus arena. And the thing to me is no team has won a home game yet in that series. Normally they say you're not in trouble. What until you lose a home game? Well, no teams won a home game, so that game is that series has been really tight. I would say that we as fans deserve a game seven, but I would mm-hmm. say that maybe the Winnipeg Jets don't deserve another home game mm-hmm. after how they've fared in the first three games. I mean, how do you lose that game? I have, to, just to be frank, how do you lose I have that no hockey game? Idea. I mean, I was looking at the box score because I wanted to get a little bit more like clarity on who was on the ice in those late game situations and it was the Jets top line that got burned for one of those goals in the comeback the Blake Wheeler line which has really been I think the best and most consistent line in the series so that just you got to give the Blues credit there I mean you know what the other thing too the Jets threw away was the power play over three in that game the chemistry wasn't really there so those are two areas that you know, I think over the course of a seven-game series, I do think it'll go seven. They they have time to correct, but they, they can't make those little itty-bitty mistakes. They've got to step up. They've got to close the game out. And I couldn't help but look look back at the beginning of the series. Remember we were talking about Jaden Schwartz and uh, how the Jets had the edge in secondary scoring, at least on paper. But if he returned, if he made any type of impact, he could close the gap in that regard. And of course, he scores that big goal, 15 seconds left. And also, Sunquist played a big part in that tying goal uh, a few minutes earlier. So the, the depth scoring of San of St. Louis uh, just instrumental in that win. Winnipeg too. Andrew Kopp has been playing great. He's got to be in your DFS lineups every night the Jets play at this point. I'm really impressed to see that third line for the Jets, which is Andrew Kopp, Matthew Perot, and Jack Roslevic make an impact in this series. That's a good little storyline to keep an eye on too. And then another player in this series that has to be in your lineup, regardless of which team you think will win, is Dustin Bufflin. He's been a machine for points in this series. He has, and I just... Yeah, I just I I think the Blues might close them out here. I just don't know how much longer this road trend can continue. I mean, you look at two teams uh, with disappointing performances in every single game that they've played at their home rink. I I think the Blues have some appeal for DFS in this game. I mean, I think that 
this weekend overall is going to be a gem. I mean, it's a holiday weekend, but there's going to be a ton of high stakes <laughs> hockey. I can't wait for it. You got two games Friday night. You got the Sharks game on Sunday. You got still some game times up in the air because we don't know if the Avs are going to close out the Calgary Flames, which is just another unthinkable result in this series so far. To get us back on the rails here, I think two more trends about this particular series. Number one, Patrick Line turned 21 today. Wow. That's ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> he's been through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe he's only 21. Number two, Connor Hellebuck, he needs to be better. He's got to come up with a late game save. Enough of this 8-9-7 save percentage stuff. I really want this series to go seven. I think if you look at the goalie edge so far in the series, there was one blip for Bennington, but Bennington's been the better goalie. There are some games in this series that Winnipeg probably should have won. They probably should have won one of the first two games, but Bennington was extremely strong. So you got to give some credit to him uh, winning that battle, uh, that one-on-one battle so far through five games in the series. And another series I hope we get treated to seven games of is the San Jose Sharks versus the Vegas Golden Knights. San Jose at home, we had our resident goalie master in the house at the SAP Center to witness the revival of Martin Jones. Yeah, Martin Jones must have felt the goalie master's presence in that game. <laughs> there was a lot of talk going into the game about uh, would they call up a goalie from the from the San Jose Barracuda, the AHL team who were in the same building. A lot of fans were joking about some of the old timers, uh, Arthur Zerbe, Evgeny Nabokov. I mean, <laughs> Martin Jones was just not cutting it, but he made some big saves in this game. And yeah, the Sharks stayed alive. They scored first this time. How about that? Switch turn in the table. What a goal by Tomas Hurdle and the assist from EK65. And yeah, they scored just over a minute into the game. So you're right, the tables turned finally on that trend. And Hurdle had one of the best games of his career, I think. He uh, almost scored a hat trick, hit the crossbar late in the game, but had two goals. I mean, he has really been one of their MVPs through and through. A lot of guys have been banged up all season long. He has been the key cog in the top six that has continued to produce uh, almost every night for this team. And uh, what better player to uh, keep their season alive? Do you think or would you agree with me that he's the best shark to have in your DFS lineup at this point in the season? Yeah, because he's still not super pricey in terms of being in like the $7,000 range. He's been in the 6000 6,000 or high fives most of the season. So, yeah, I, I do believe that. I think if you're not going to build your lineup around a Burns or a Carlson because of some of the risk involved, uh, I think he's the best forward to bank on. But how about the impact of Mark Edward Vlasic just re- bringing some responsibility to that defense? And you see it so much. You saw it so much in that game. They were coming from the back end out uh, with a lot of strength, a lot of control, uh, which is the complete opposite of what we've seen uh, earlier in the series. Wasn't it Hurdle that also said? said uh, we'll be back for game seven. Like yeah, we'll he see had a little, the better team. He had I a little that. guarantee. I, I love that. I love I, that guy. The confidence. I mean, if, how can you not be confident <laughs> after Roof and one on Marc-Andre Fleury, the first minute into the game? But but no, you're right. To, to touch on the Vlasic thing, too, that, that was a huge... When that news broke on Twitter that he was going to play in the game, I just... I had this feeling all day. I'm like, Martin Jones and the team is going to win this game. But it, it was too hard, I think, to bet against Marc-Andre Fleury in a closeout game, right? Yeah, and I think that, yeah, the Sharks have a, an opportunity. They're putting the pressure now on Vegas a little bit, but they have to be still more disciplined. They played well in that game, better than the other three that they lost in a row, no doubt but still have not played a complete game in this series. They took two penalties and Vegas scored on both goals. So that tells me this team, uh, Vander Kane was in the box again. 
it's he has over 40 penalty minutes in the series <laughs> i mean this ryan reeves thing needs to end and the sharks can't give vegas more than two power plays at home on sunday night you can't have a 30 goal guy sitting in the box like that especially when his pims are over 40 i mean that that's insane they've played five games so that that really it's says like a season total <laughs> you, for, yeah. the old for, more, uh, for more than half the league that's that's more than the <laughs> average there but but a couple things on this game too the vegas top line marcia so smith carlson had a much better game surprisingly than the stone stasny patcheretti line so i wonder if there was something internally that the Sharks adjusted there to maybe put some better matchups because they were on home ice. Maybe there was a way that they got some better defensive matchups against that second line to shut them down. No doubt. And I think that even Riley Smith, Riley Smith had a number of quality chances late in that game. Mark's, uh, Martin Jones stoned him on one of them. It was a key save with about seven minutes left in the game that I thought if Vegas scored, I think it was right after Vegas's goal to cut it to one goal. So if he ties the game there, you're looking at the same old story for the Sharks. So that was the save that we've been waiting for for Martin Jones all series and for much of the whole season, right? One that would bail out his team at the right time, and that was what it was. Two keys to their game on the road now back in Vegas that I have. I'll throw out to you. Number one, Jumbo Joe. He has points in four games in the series. All four games that he's played in has points. Okay, so he, to me, is the key cog, the veteran presence in the room, 164 playoff games in his career that can settle that room down, even if they let in that first goal, which would be a travesty, but I think he's the guy they can turn to. Number two, we touched on it a little bit earlier, Evander Kane, please do not engage with Ryan Reeves. There's absolutely no need to do that. He, I, I really can see Evander Kane scoring a big-time goal on the road to kind of end that little saga between the two. I think one of my keys is starting strong and finishing strong. They had the strong start, but they allowed a late goal in the first period of Game 5. So I think that's a key thing. And then Martin Jones is another key. I mean, right, if he if he goes down 2 nothing, I think this team is shot. So they, they have the ability to pull a comeback, but they need the goalie on their side. And it's so key, like you said, that Thornton and Vlasic are back. Thornton is no third liner. He's playing a lot of top power play. He's playing a lot of key minutes, and he has been dishing out assists all season long, um, almost at a point-per-game stretch over the past few months. It's great to see that, and he was our playoff X factor for them, so go check that out on NHL.com. It's still relevant to this day. But along with the theme of scoring first, we saw the Hurricanes score first last night. That's crucial in those games because when you see it, a team gets that first goal, the other team, in this case the Capitals, they can't play the game they want to play. They can't get in that flow. So that was a big critical moment last night when Warren Fogle got that first one. Yeah, and the Hurricanes' home crowd has definitely been a factor. I mean, our guy John Isner was there, so he maybe he helped the uh, Hurricanes hold serve. So that was really uh, cool to see. He was revving up the fans like all the celebrities do when they do show up to the PNC Arena. Great tennis reference there. I love holding <laughs> the serve. And secondly, yeah, they showed him on – I was watching the Canes broadcast last night. He, they showed him a lot on that. I'm thinking cool. this is our guy on the pod, John. So that was, that was awesome to see that. And, yeah, that terrible – Vining goal uh, was money uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the second period. That changed the course of the game. The, Nobody scored in the, the third the period. The Caps need to back check. I don't know that Tara Vining goal. They, the Caps change on a long change. They change. They skate over the bench like no one cares. And then all of a sudden Tara Vining's wide open in the slot. It's like if any if any high caliber player has an opportunity like that, they're scoring. I don't care who it is. So Caps, you got to smarten up. You got to play tighter. 
I'm I'm so tired of seeing this lazy effort. Now is this is the system of Carolina wearing down the Capitals at all, or is this a case of missed opportunities for Washington? Oh, I would say the latter for sure. I mean, look at Evgeny Kuznetsov late in the game. He's he's wide open in front of the slot, right in front of Peter Mrazek, misses it. Look at John Carlson earlier in the game. Has three or four shots on one shift, rings one off the crossbar. To me, it, it's just these little moments, these little balances aren't going the Caps' way. But the best way, ask the Pittsburgh Penguins, to get good quality balances, play hard. Play every shift. Obviously, it didn't apply. This logic did not apply this year against the Islanders. But nonetheless, <laughs> from playoffs in the past, you got to work for those balances. I hope to see. And look, this is the craziest thing about this series. TJ Oshie now out probably for an extended amount of time. For me, the Caps, they always play better when they've got a key guy out of the lineup. We'll see if that holds serve, to use your reference, on now, Saturday. Now, who do you think steps up uh, if Oshie's out for the rest of the series and maybe even beyond that in a series against maybe the Islanders next round if they find a way to get through this? Well, look at the court, right? It's Nicholas Backstrom, Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Tom Wilson, John Carlson. You've already named five guys right there that are probably better than five guys on any other team in the Eastern Conference right now. You didn't even include TJ Oshie's name in there. So the guy, to me, next up on that list, Jakob Vrana. He's got to produce he's got to get some goals and break out of this little uh fluke that's I, I wouldn't call it a fluke necessarily but this little slump he's gotten in and Andre Burakovsky too another high skill guy that's been a non-impact player I think the Caps would enjoy seeing more production out of those two you need a little more maybe you put the two of them on the same second line and try to get the boast out the best out of both of them another guy is Brett Connolly right who's come through for them all season long 20-plus goals, has a chance to see an elevated role. And, I mean, Oshie's on the power play one, so who's going to get that spot? Is it going to be like Lars Eller, who played really well there last postseason when one of the big dogs was out? I'm glad you brought up Lars Eller because he did produce well last playoffs. I think he had 15 points when it was all said and done. So that's a player that could certainly provide a role in that top power play. But that top power play right now having a lot of trouble getting into the zone and setting up shops. So you got to give Carolina credit here. They are a tough team to play against. They pack the punch on defense. Slavin's a guy that has been on Must. the on almost every shift so if you're looking at a guy like that in DFS while the production might not be there if he's playing 25 minutes per game and you're telling me that brings exposure to Aho, Teravainen and company that's a player you probably want to consider having as a value in your lineup and let's give the Hurricanes a ton of credit right 0-2 series hole you look at the first two games how they went probably deserved a better fade in one of them, but they have rallied around this Svechnikov injury. We thought Svechnikov might be a difference maker in the series, and he was in the first two games with the goals he scored and his uh, power play assist in game two, but the difference in this series and how they've rallied back has been how they've rallied around their rookie uh, Russian wing. It's interesting because normally when somebody loses a fight, it's the team that won the fight that gets some momentum. This was the opposite, and it was really nice to see the Canes rally around that to be, you know, to kind of take a different angle to that whole storyline. Now, another injury that occurred in that game was Jordan Martinuk crashed hard in the board, tried to hit Dmitry Orlov. It didn't work out so well for him. I think it looked like his right foot that he couldn't even put pressure on it. Credit to him, though. He came back into the game to try it out. He couldn't even, he really couldn't even use two, two feet to skate. So he's going to be out, too, it looks like, for that Saturday night game, barring a miracle. That's another tough loss for the Canes. I mean, these guys are dropping like flies. Yeah, I was looking, the Canes have allowed, I think, 25 five shots per game in the series which is 
very low and possession metrics that have been on their side for years and especially this season uh, a lot of credit due to that third line right with uh, with Martin Nook and Walmart and those guys have uh, been kind of under the they've been unsung heroes I think not many people around the country talk about them you talk about the big dogs and you know some of the the stars on that team more than the role players wouldn't it be wild if we saw the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs this year lose the top seed in the east and the west in the first round and they said it's never happened before ever it's never happened wow. that the top seed in the West and the top seed in the East have lost in the first round in the same season. Wow. So it's never happened before. So this Not to mention all the teams that are higher seeds right now that are either tied or losing the series. The Islanders were a higher seed. They swept. Everybody else is either tied or losing. St. Louis is the only team, and they're a lower seed too. They're a lower seed too, but <laughs> the Avs really do... When Rantanen's going, when McKinnon's going, when Grubauer's making those pad saves in overtime or late in the game against Backlund, that save, if you haven't seen it, oh, yeah, look up Grubauer on Backlund. It was incredible. <laughs> so give this Avalanche team a lot of credit where credit is due. Their top guys have risen up so high that they don't need depth scoring right now. And you see so many other series, right? Like game four of the Bruins was the first one where that line, top line, top trio, finally showed up in a big way. One night it's Matthews, one night it's Tavares. All these teams, uh, right, like Sebastian Ajo, best player in Carolina, has been few and far between. I mean, really, we haven't seen for an entirety of a series two superstars for a particular team step up quite to the degree of these Colorado guys. It's pretty safe to say that that logic holds true for the Flames because Johnny Gaudreau has been non-existent in this series. He does have two assists, but that's not going to cut it for that Flames team. They are not going to get past the avalanche without Johnny G back on the scoreboard. I think it's a nice opportunity now for the Flames to bounce back, for Johnny G to shake off that rust, and that would be the worst-case scenario I think for the Avs if a player like Johnny Gaudreau gets going that's going to be that that little I think it's going to be too much for the Avs to handle because Mike Smith all things considered I know that they've lost a couple games now but and they're on the brink of elimination but Mike Smith has been really solid and the Avs have been shooting a ton of pucks at him so he's been much better than we could have ever imagined I think right we were all we were talking about from the goaltending was are they going to go back and forth is somebody going to falter he really hasn't faltered but yeah Grubauer I mean that save that we were talking about earlier it was like he was reading Backlund's mind as the play was <laughs> happening uh, so maybe they're in a little maybe they're in their heads a little bit I mean Philip Grubauer is as hot as any goalie in the league over the past two months one other storyline I'm loving from this series is the Kachuk family traveling to all the games yeah. so we saw like Brady Kachuk wearing this <laughs> hilarious t-shirt in the in the stands he was getting interviewed by uh on the live broadcasts and stuff and and then they always pan like every time Matthew Kachuk's on the ice and he either makes a hit or takes a shot they always pan to his dad Keith in the crowd and, and his reactions are always so priceless I love the one where he was Keith Kachuk was rolling his eyes and kind of frustrated when Matthew Kachuk was pretty much laying on top of Gabriel Landeskog, shoving him and uh, ended up going to the penalty box at a bad time in game three. So 
Uh, yeah, the, the frustration is mounting for a couple of these key gritty forwards in the postseason. Kachuk is one of them. Evander Kane is another. And whether they whether those guys can keep their composure is so key uh, to their chances of coming back in their particular series. I do hope that there is a slight comeback in that series just so that we can see some more first-round action. I don't want any of these series to end soon. They're all so, so good. What do you think of Kale McCarr so far? Because I think the last time we talked on Monday, he was not yet inserted into the lineup, and he scored a goal. Uh, in the first period of his first game in the playoffs, a couple days after playing in the title game for the NCAA for UMass. So first impressions on uh, Kale McCarr. First impressions as described. I mean, right on the money. He has made an impact in situations that I don't think you... I think his first NHL goal, nothing to take away from it. It was kind of a... I think it was a leaky goal by Mike Smith. That being said, to score in your first NHL playoff game, you cannot take credit away from that. But more so than that, he played over 20 minutes in this in this past game. That, to me, is a sign that right away... Coach Jared Bednar recognizes how good he is. He can be used in all situations. And even with the defenseman Samuel Girard, very underrated player, he's out. he's been out of the lineup now for the past two games for the Avalanche. Kale McCarr is inserted very well. And one more thing about this trend, I saw someone at the Pepsi Center actually had a fresh bushel of kale, <laughs> waving it around. So, and like the, it was like <laughs> flying off. It got into the protective netting up on top of like when they have it behind the goals and stuff. So that's a that's pretty funny right there. And if, you're, if your first First name's Kale, even though it's spelled with a C. That is pretty awesome that fans are doing that. Yeah, different spelling, but very funny nonetheless. And then for another series that we can shift to, so the Colorado series has Game 5 on Friday, Game 6 on Sunday, so we're going to see a little bit more of that series. Hopefully the Flames keep it going. Bruins hang on, I think, for dear life. We watched the end of that Game 4. I mean, I picked the Bruins to win the whole thing. I've had a lot of doubts in them, and that was edge of your seat. If you're a Bruins fan, you probably uh, you know had to walk around, go for a walk around the block a couple times after watching the end of that game. I was so stressed out during that game. I mean, the the emergence of Austin Matthews in this series is nothing short of a great great storyline whether you live in Toronto or you live outside of it I love the way he's been playing and and he was putting so much pressure on them late in the game I thought I just had a feeling they're going to get one they're going to tie this thing up they ended up not tying it up but three players that really stood out to me in that game above anybody else number one Charlie McAvoy for the Boston Bruins number two Brad Marchand for the Boston Bruins and number three David Pasternak for the Boston Bruins Pasternak's biggest game of the se- of the series. Uh, maybe that'll get him going. He was elite last postseason. But yeah, Pasternak finally shows up. And the Bruins were tinkering their lines a little bit. I know his goals came on the ice with the big guys, but he was playing. He was moved for a bit to the line with Krejci. What do you think is their best method going forward? Should they continue to roll with the punches? and ch- They shouldn't be married to any particular line. No team should be this time of year. I love how they can spread that, that- depth out when they have Pasternak who can score as many as almost anybody in the league they can put him on the second line and David Krejci had 70 plus points in the regular season so he's not too shabby either I really think that that is their key to getting some better matchups against this Toronto team now Toronto's defense you look at the state of affairs there Man, it really seems like if Pasternak gets going again, it's going to be the edge in this series. I do love watching this Leafs team. I love watching Austin Matthews, like I said. I love watching Mitch Marner. Don't get me wrong, but I really think this Boston team has that extra gear that Toronto probably can't match. And I think 
but again, it's one of those series where don't take penalties if you're the Bruins because that power play one, we talked about it at the beginning of the season, and they've had their moments all season, but that is as dangerous of a five-man unit that you would ever want to see uh, in a postseason series. So they'll make you pay, whether it's Marner, Matthews, right? Marner had that sick... Uh, pass right on the tape of Matthews uh that little saucer pass that was so awesome it's uh, a very dangerous group and not to mention John Tavares who's very dangerous too to add a little bit more of the optimism or optimism to the Toronto Maple Leaf side of things here I do my gut is telling me Pete that if Austin Matthews continues to shoot the puck and score like this I do think they're going to hang around in that series and if it came down to game seven for me if I had to throw some chips on the table I'd probably put them on 34 side I think a lot of these series, it's weird. Like the higher seed, maybe we liked going into the series, but you've seen the lower seed play so much better in wins and losses, right? And like Dallas is another one. I think that Dallas has the edge in this series, which goes to game five um, on Saturday. I think that Toronto's another example of that. Just teams avalanche. I mean, like these teams, the more you watch them, the more you have faith in the team that none most people didn't expect to win the series you have more faith in that team let's talk about that dallas team because i do have more faith in them rupee hints our playoff sleeper for the dallas stars got two goals <laughs> in that game they beat them five to one which i don't think anybody saw that kind of eruption coming now i think that being said, for the Nashville Predators, though, Pete, those games, it's almost better that you get blown out because you just throw it out. You don't even really watch too much of the film from it. You just say, oh, that was a stinker. Let's get back out there and regroup. So I do think even though the Dallas erupted on the depth scoring front, I do think that this is going to be a tight series down to the finish. And they erupted on the power play. We've been waiting for that for a few months now, and <laughs> uh, that's got to be scaring Nashville a little bit. I know Nash- uh, Dallas had a great atmosphere in both games. It was good to see them win one of those games uh, they had a couple of cowboys uh top dogs in there zeke and uh dak prescott so that was cool that, was that cool. revved up the players a little bit and it's good to see a market like that thriving i mean from carolina to dallas these are markets that are not normally in the playoffs and have real home ice advantages if you don't have ben bishop in your dfs lineup when the stars are on the slate I don't think there's a better goal you can choose from at this point. So that would be the guy. Even if I do think that this will be a close series, I do believe in Ben Bishop. He would be my Vesna pick for the regular season as well. He was my Vesna pick in our NHL.com Writers Awards. I just think when he elevates his play, when he's seeing pucks the way he does, and their defense, give a lot of credit to the Dallas decor. They move out of the way. They get they let shots through intentionally so that Ben Bishop can see pucks. He's not screened very often, and that is the one thing, Pete, that worries me about this Nashville team. They don't generate a lot of net front traffic. If Philip Forsberg isn't sniping goals from the left-hand hash, I don't really know where they're going to get goals from. And I think from Dallas's standpoint as well, right? Zuccarello has scored in almost every game he's played in a Stars uniform. Miro Heiskanen, this is a coming out party for a guy that is going to be dominating the NHL for many, many years to come. So these are other guys, in addition to hints, that you should get into your DFS lineup if you're playing for Game 5 on Saturday against the Predators. Even though it's on the road, I have a lot of trust in all those guys we just mentioned. What's crazy is I'm having an internal dialogue now about who is a better draft pick next year. Is it John Klingberg or Miro Heiskanen? <laughs> I mean, obviously you have to it's, give the edge to Klingberg because of the top power play, 
But the flashes of brilliance that you see when Heiskanen's carrying the puck sometimes, you can just feel that they're about to score when he's skating the puck up the ice. He has no fear for such a young kid thrown into such a big role playing uh, in the mid-20s and minutes per game. And I agree. I think going into drafts next year, you look at maybe Klingberg, if you could get him around the fifth round, sixth Mm -hmm. round, or Heiskanen in like, Maybe the ninth round or tenth round. I would go Heiskanen, no doubt. The one problem is Pete that I drafted. I I was telling we I had I talked about this so much during the regular season that I got Ben Bishop in like the late seventies <laughs> or early eighties. Sadly, that won't be the case this upcoming no, season. No, no. You're gonna have to get this guy probably <laughs> the first two or maybe early third round if you're lucky. And he's still gonna come with the injury concern. Right. So that's a different discussion for a different day. But I, yeah, you're not getting the days of getting Ben Bishop uh, past the second or third round. I think are long gone. For my fantasy. my success in fantasy might be limited next <laughs> year with all my strategies being fully exposed now. So two teams that were fully exposed are the Blue Jays are the. Tampa Bay Lightning and the Pittsburgh Penguins, their seasons are over. Let's take a quick look before we wrap up the show on some at some of these teams that swept, right? Mm-hmm. The Islanders and the Columbus Blue Jackets. So the Blue Jackets have gotten contributions from throughout the lineup. I mean, some guys that were relatively unheard of entering the series. Oliver Bjorkstrand, we knew him. Most people didn't. Scored some key goals late in the series. And then this new kid, Alexander Texier, Comes out of nowhere, barely played in the regular season, and uh, scores the opening goal in Game 4 that they went on to sweep the vaunted Tampa Bay Lightning. He comes straight out of France, brought the good red wine and the good cheese right <laughs> over, scored. Yeah, he, he's been great. And Columbus, all things, let's lay this one to rest. It was all worth it for them to go all in. I am sold on that. Big-time strategy paid off to sweep the Lightning in that kind of fashion. I don't care what happens to them in the second round, whether they advance or not. To me... All worth it, Pete. So the risk reward, the reward paid off. Just I mean, just for we even hard on them a little bit. Even but. just to see that picture of Bobrovsky and Panarin that they posted on Instagram <laughs> after the game, it was all worth it. Who knows what went on between <laughs> the end of that game and that picture, but I think the Blue Jackets deserve it, whatever it was. So yeah, Columbus, I think you look back at that series, the turning I think the turning point in both of these series, the Islanders series and the Columbus series, was game one. Right. Yes. The Blue Jackets were trailing three nothing after the first period. Got destroyed by the Lightning in the entire regular season. Found a way to come that come back in that game, and then the Lightning were shell shocked from there. And Columbus really was able to showcase their heavy presence in their forward group. I'm looking at Boone Jenner. I'm looking at Josh Anderson. Nick Felino played really well. Those guys, while they might not log those 20-minute-plus situations, those guys are really hard to play against and will play a crucial role in your DFS lineups in round two. And I think for the Lightning moving forward, they have to – I think they have a couple of guys coming off the books on their defense, uh, Girardi and Strawman, mm-hmm. who was banged up. But this team is way too reliant for as dominant as they were in the regular season, way too reliant on Victor Hedman. And he went down for the tail end of the series, and they had no answers. I will say this is one of those situations where the media is going to be very critical of the Lightning right now. But internally in the Lightning, I think you have to stand pat. You had a great thing going in the regular season. You, you got a couple bad breaks. It didn't go the way you wanted it to. But stay the course. You have a brilliant core. You have a great young goaltender. 
one of the best in the league, best in fantasy by a mile, in my opinion. And their defense, Victor Hedman and Mikhail Sergachev, he really stepped up. I think when Hedman was out, we saw flashes of brilliance from Sergachev. So as much as this stings the lightning right now, the one word of wisdom I would offer to the fan base is I believe that staying the course is the best route here. Take a page out of the Washington Capitals book. For so many years, they were coming up short. All it takes is that one year to break through. I have no worries about the Lightning next year. Right. The year before the Capitals won the Cup, it was as depressing as any season that you could ever remember, at least the exit in the playoffs. But clearly, the window still wide open on the Penguin side. Uh, it's shutting. So maybe they're going to have to make a trade involving one of their, maybe a Kessel, somebody of magnitude in the offseason. We'll see. But I think that that team needs to restructure a little bit more than the than the Lightning do. I, I don't have the words for wisdom for for them in in this situation. The the one thing I found interesting about their ex interviews, their general manager Jim Rutherford was quoted as saying, "I believe this was the best defense that we've had in recent years." I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's an area that they need to help take pressure off Chris Letang. Brian Dumoulin's been great for them, but you're not getting any value for him in fantasy. Same thing with Justin Schultz, unfortunately, a player that has all the offensive tools in the world, but just didn't seem to really consistently produce for them. So I would look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I I agree with you. I think they'll probably look to move it forward and maybe get help on the back end there. And so the team that knocked the Penguins out, the Islanders, let's touch on them for a bit before we wrap up here. So uh, the story in that series was their their top three performers really all potential UFAs in Eberly, Nelson, and Leonard. Now they're going to have some rest, though. I mean, does this hurt their momentum a little bit, you think? And then they're also going to be going uh, from the Coliseum to Barclays Center, which is a really underrated storyline, I think, for round two. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think it hurts them much. I mean, you could you could play devil's advocate and say, oh, having too much rest is a bad thing, and it, it may well be. We'll see. We'll wait and see. But Barry Trotz is such a mentally strong coach that can ride and handle adversity better than anybody in the league, in my opinion. That's true. So I think he'll have these guys ready to go and all tuned up. I would look at the Johnny Boychuk injury news that broke today. He will be out for three to four weeks. That would make me a little concerned if I were an Islanders fan, but really. It's been such a great season for them already. Sweeping the Penguins in the first round was icing on the cake to me at this point. And, hey, some games in Barclays Center, which you and I can attend because we, we live in the city. Can I'm, hop not, on the I'm not complaining about that whatsoever. Get some more playoff hockey here in New York. We can hop right on the subway and be there in 20 minutes. So we're looking forward to that. We'll see uh, how the series shake out over the weekend. Maybe we'll, uh, if there's a Game 7 of Vegas Sharks, maybe we'll go to uh, – good old Finnerty's mm-hmm. uh, by Union Square and check out that game. So we're, we're excited for these series. I think a bunch of them are going to go the distance because the margin for error is razor, razor thin and uh, just so competitive, these series. So I hope far. we get some Game 7s, and if we do get Game 7s, Pete and I will have our Game 7 picks articles. We did them last season in the playoffs. What we do is we break down who we think DFS-wise is going to play well, and then we also give a little bonus as to who we think we're going to take the outright winner and predict the score in the games. And we were on the money for a couple last year, so pay attention to those if that does happen. And the Game 7s 
keep in mind for your scheduling purposes. I know a lot of people's lives revolve around these Stanley Cup playoffs, <laughs> and rightfully so, but they're going to be Monday through Wednesday. So the more, the merrier. We hope there's three or four game sevens like years past, and uh, we're looking forward to getting to all the implications. We'll have another episode for you on Monday. Until then, subscribe for free on iTunes, and if you've enjoyed the program, definitely leave us a five-star review and maybe some nice comments too. And check out the other podcasts here in the NHL Podcast Network. We're growing NHL Draft Class with Adam Kimmelman and Mike Morial, our buddies from NHL.com, uh, covering everything leading up to the draft. They had a cool new episode with Dan Marr, the director of Central Scouting, and then also Deb Placey hosting NHL Executive Suite, talking to a lot of different uh, big wigs around the league and having fun along the way. Including Lou Lamorello most recently, which is a great listen if you haven't. Check it out now on iTunes. And so for Rob Reese, Pete Jensen, thanks so much for listening to NHL Fantasy on Ice. Happy Easter. Happy Passover. We'll talk to you again next week.